Hey, uh, hey, Marcus, you know how there are mad streaming sites? I do. What if you're tired of reruns of procedural dramas or zeitgeisty Bildungsromans? Uh, you know? I don't know. Tell me. Do you remember when Ghostface and Neo asked to be taken back? Yeah, I do. Well, our first sponsor is back, like Cairo Pratt, baby. They are back. That's Ovid. Sure. They are back. They are back and flipping the format like those crazy wrestlers you have me watch on Instagram. Ovid, Ovid, named after the Roman poet, obviously not COVID, is different. Started with help from eight independent film studios, Ovid now streams over 800 titles, most of which can't be found anywhere else. And for all my leftists that have mad left-leaning documentaries that they want to watch, a lot of them are on there. But they got love for you even if you're not trying to destroy capitalism. Baby steps, baby. And Ovid adds like 20 to 35 new films a month. But unlike sir, unlike other services, it doesn't drop so many. You know what I mean? They curate. It's complex. There's flavor profiles and shit. Ovid is an alternative. Ovid offers a free 14-day trial period. You don't even have to use our name to go up in it. Afterwards, it's just $6.99 per month or $69.99 yearly. So head over to www.ovid.tv. They've just launched a new platform and design. Take a look and get started. You listen to us, so you're probably independent. So check out them, films from an independent world. Hey, Marcus. Yo. You like movies? Yes, I do. This is Zebras in America Movie Podcast, episode something. I don't remember the number. Um, every day sort of bleeds into every day these days, my friend. Yeah. If you're listening currently, we are in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, which has seen meteoric rises lately. But if you're listening to the future, and hopefully there is a future we have been staying safe. We are socially distancing. We're taking care of ourselves. We're wearing masks. And you should consider wearing a mask. I was no about matter to say, where, if, if, No matter where on the political spectrum you are, at the worst, you're wearing a mask. At the best, you're saving people's lives. Like, come on. You know what I'm saying? I was about to say, if you're listening, like uh, Truffaut and Godard, we're about to be in the new wave of uh, this COVID thing. Because... Uh, the numbers are showing in certain areas, not universally, but in certain areas where people were not smart. I'll be nice. Uh, things are going back up. So just seriously, stay safe out there. Even if I read a great article today, even though this article is not the first to expose this, it's just like even wearing a mask is just like kind of common courtesy for your fellow man or woman also. Like even if well, it doesn't affect, just wear a mask. Well, that's what I'm saying. At worst case scenario, you're wearing a mask. And you know who also wears masks? Superheroes. Yeah, they do. And so, just at the worst, you're just wearing a mask. And it, and and like plenty of cool clothing companies are making masks. Some of my favorite gee companies are making masks. So like you can also get kind of sick with it. I think um, our 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 friend Leanne, she has friends that are making masks. Right. Um, like. Just, it shouldn't be a political thing that you, that you're like, I just, and as I said, at the very worst, you're wearing a mask and it does nothing, which yeah. I'm pretty sure it does something. At the best, you're, you're 
being you're keeping other people safe or at least doing a common courtesy you know um this is the world we're living in if you're listening from the future let us know what it's like um because because i really hope that there is one but that's that we're living we're living there so we took last week off i was we just needed we just needed a little break we're back now and and we're here we have a new sponsor again so that's exciting and i just think like let's just be to to quote bill and ted who finally they dropped a trailer for their new movie and and i caved i actually watched it be excellent to each other man don't be a dick black lives matter um just like come on um off should i read a mail or or should should, that's how we do stuff read the mail first okay well because you know on on anyways i'll i'll keep that for later um from one of our great letter writers john arminio dear zebras first of all i want to thank you for the excellent episode a couple weeks ago where you addressed the murder to, of George Floyd, the resulting protests, and the Black Lives Matter movement. You discussed these difficult subjects with more eloquence and sincerity than I ever could, and it was edifying to hear you both talk about systemic racism and police brutality when I was having trouble grappling with all the anger, guilt, and anxiety I was feeling, all the while knowing there are millions of people who were, and still are, experiencing those same emotions but at exponentially worse levels. It is greatly appreciated. No problem, John. But, you know, even even if you feel that you lack the eloquence, speak up. Now is our time. If you are, if you are a white person and you are... Uh, the word ally has always been a funny, weird word to me, but if you're, try, if you're, if you're trying to do the work, then, then you need, you're going to have to be uncomfortable. And, and this is a, this is a topic like that it's, it's, it's been there for a while, but it's now really penetrated the, the world and people are talking about it and we need to stop talking about it. So, you know, I'm glad that you found our words helpful. I've got a lot of text messages saying that they really, really were feeling what we were doing. And so thank you. Thank you, but John. it's oh, it's okay even if you don't have the words, you know what I'm saying? Of course. Like, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it's publicly known that you work at a comic book store. So sometimes comic book fans, not all of them at all by any means, but there are some comic book fans who have strange views about things. So if you just have one calm talk to 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 a comic book fan that says some bullshit or something that you find to be inaccurate. And just be like, hey man, like, that's not really cool. Then you're doing the work. Agreed. Yeah, like, you don't gotta, you don't gotta hit him in the head with a log, but, you know, just like, that's the work. Going into the places, having uncomfortable conversations at Thanksgiving. It is what it is. That's my two cents. I'm gonna give a lot of sense today. I, I don't know why. Anyway, I also wanted to thank you for the fantastic discussion you had with DJ7L. Side note, me too, that episode was great. 
I have to admit, I was un- I was unfamiliar with his work before listening to that episode. As much as I love both Wu-Tang Clan and comic books, it seems almost negligent of me to have never checked out Zarface before. But I now find myself diving into that group as well as 7L and Esoteric themselves. Thanks for the insightful interview, and I appreciate that you were able to get into the nitty-gritty of production methods and music creation with your guest, along with, of course, some great film conversations. Sincerely, John Arminio. And, what, you're supposed to know every single thing that has to do with comics? Like, I learn, I'm a rap head. I learn about new rap from 20 years ago almost monthly. We can't know everything. Yeah. You're not you're not omniscient. You're not omnip- omnipotent. Omnipotent? Omnipotent. Um that's crazy. You know? I got um I got at first I was like Jesus Christ, but now I'm like thankful. I got added to this random Twitter DM group chat about like hip hop stuff and then come to find out I'm the oldest person in the chat by like by a mile and I slowly learned that. So it's like beautiful Two things. I'm learning new music. I'm rediscovering right, new music. And I love watching a 19-year-old go, like, he's. this is what got me to expose my age. This 19-year-old in the chat was like, yo, have you guys heard this group, this group Alcoholics? They have this song called Damn, It's Awesome. And I was like, oh, man, that, that's really cool that, like, a, 19, a group of, like, 19, early 20-year-olds are, like, excited about discovering, like... And then they didn't know. Like, they love Mad Lib now. And I was like, you know... Oh, you know that they started with the alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even that. There's the, the, the first beat on Coast to Coast was, I think, Madlib's first beat placement. And they're like, really? Seriously? I'm like, yeah, he raps on the song. And they're like, oh, yeah. wow, that's crazy. And then it just kind of... Then, then this one kid, this like 20-year-old came into the chat. I was like, yeah, you heard of this guy, Quest the Mad Lad? I was like, oh, whoa. Yeah, but I had, no one's mentioned him in, in, in a while. So, yeah, I mean, part of the joy of living... Is experiencing new and rediscovering old stuff, right? As, and as, and as, as you long, go on. yeah. And as long as like you, you're not a jerk. You know, I I meet young people that love rap all the time, and yeah, it's not a one way thing. I learn, I learn new stuff now. Are they introducing me to music from the '90s I've never heard? Very rarely. Rarely, but, but they, still, yeah. You know. But it's it's happened, or like when. When the pro era kids started showing up, they were rapping over styles of beyond B sides. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there is a reverence, and we've talked about this on the show many times. But there's lots of important artists in the rap oeuvre that have been lost because they're not on Spotify or they're not on Apple. So yeah. it you can help young people fill in the blanks. And if you're not young, there's a lot of new rap that you might not be up in, and they can help you fill in the blanks. Yeah, and don't and be bitter. A, like, don't be old. Like, yeah. leave, like, Illmatic's a great album, but at the same time, it's like, let go of the grip of Illmatic and your New York fitted and your Timberland boots, and, like, you know, explore some other stuff. It's like, Illmatic is or, one of the greatest, but it's like... Yeah, or or wear your you know. Timberland boots, but be open... To, to listening to new music because because sure, yeah, I I felt kind of attacked there because I really do love my Timberland boots and I know a lot of I knew I know a lot of the the caricature of the New York aging Nas fan is not always as accurate as you think it is but do you want to talk about movies sure um we were supposed to a couple weeks ago 
talk about the debt collectors. Yeah. But then we decided that we didn't want to because we wanted to talk about the murder of George Floyd and, and other yeah. things that were that were going on yeah. um, there. And I just, uh, yeah, I was, I loved the first debt collector. So did I'm I. Sure, um, you know, Jesse V. Johnson has been doing an excellent job of making direct-to-video action movies starring Scott Atkins and Last Year's Avengement and Debt Collector and Accident Man, and I'm pretty sure he directed all three of those, were were like, oh, okay, he's about they're, they're about to get somewhere, like, because it's not just vehicles for fighting anymore. There's, there's like, complicated stories, and debt coll- the, the Debt Collector even though there were some misses along with the hits, I really enjoyed it. And it was it was Jesse V. Johnson's 48 Hours, but, yeah, yeah. but with... Or another Scott, 48 Hours. Well, well, I'm saying the first one. I'm, sure. I'm giving, oh, I gotcha, 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 gotcha. Yeah, so Scott Atkins' character plays a guy who starts being like, you know... A, a debt collector in a less than above the ground business and he and he is set to work with a guy played by um Costas Mandalore's L- brother I always forget Louis Louis Mandalore Louis who who is essentially David Bradley right. so David Bradley being the star of American Ninja 3 so he's a guy that that was in Kung Fu karate fighting movies that you would only know if you were a super, you know, VHS nerd. Sure. And and he becomes a he becomes this sort of like debt collector dude with questionable morals. But as you go deeper into the original film, you find out that there's more stuff going. And I thoroughly suggest you check it out. Spoiler alert: at the end of the first debt collector. It appears that they both die. It appears one. The first debt collector, I mean, Scott Atkins is in the car. Like, he, he gets out of the place. I get right. what you mean. Like, whatever. They both get shot up. I, I it yeah. was, to me, it was, it's, one is definitely dead. The other is in the air, like, leaning towards, oh, maybe he got away. I don't know, kind of thing. It's unclear. Sure. Right? And then, and then... I read that they're making a sequel and I start bothering Vern about it, Outlaw Vern, because he really liked it. So I'm really excited. So when he told me that that it was good and we're like, yo, we got to watch this, you know? Yeah. And and I think think Deck Collector 2 better than Deck Collector 1. Huh. Okay. I, uh, oh, how spoilery are, 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 are we getting? Your call. Well, you know what? We're talking about the sequel. So yeah. actually everything I have to say is about the first one. Actually, you just said something that would lead me into my point about the sequel. So it, it is what it is. Possible spoilers. I think, I for those listening, I've already expressed this to Scott through uh, since we text like literally every day, multiple times a day. But a while back... I was saying that when I saw the trailer for Debt Collectors, 
And then even after seeing it, I thought that what the plot should have gone with, they should have done the whole like, um, what's what what's like like the sixth sense thing. I thought that Scott Atkins was alive, but I thought Louis Mandelar's character was dead, and he was just going to kind of be like a spirit with him the whole time. Because the whole thing, I mean, mm-hmm. these movies are kind of. I don't mean this in an insulting way. Quite the opposite. They're kind of fun and batshit crazy. So it's like, why not go all out? I mean, plus, if you get shot up with with machine guns and whatnot, it's like, chances are you're not going to live. So if you're going to make a sequel, because these are two characters. I mean, Scott already expressed it. If if you're familiar with these series, these are two characters we love. They both play off each other. They work with each other. So you can't do a sequel to this movie without the other. So mm-hmm. it's like, I just thought they were going to go all out and just be like, you know, Louis Mandelar's character was just like a ghost kind of right. like being with him. Which Even, would have been cool, but yeah, they didn't super go weird. that route. Sure. And, and and they could have because these movies are batshit crazy. Yeah. The, the the Jesse V. Johnson, Scott Atkins era of, of to direct a video movies are batshit crazy. Yeah. As I've said several times... In the movie Savage Dog, which is a period piece, which I don't think you've seen yet, no, Marcus. I saw it with, uh, okay, Keith, Keith David. Yeah, Keith David plays the narrator. Yeah, it literally ends with him cutting out his enemy's kidney and eating it. Yeah, these guys right. are willing. These guys are willing to go there. Yeah. What I really, what I like is that they're making the scripts more, more complex. Sure, absolutely. Uh, Avengement is is a play. I think I've said this before, but I don't care. Avengement is a play about a man being pushed to his limits, and you slowly see what happens to someone who started out trying to do right, and there's an excellent cameo from Louis Mandalore in there, and gets turned into a violent person looking for revenge. And as I, I may have said on the the Vern episode, which is slowly becoming our most listened to episode, actually. Yeah. Outlaw Vern 2. Fair enough. It was a good episode. I mean, it's always yeah. good to talk to him about stuff. Is that, to me, it's it's kind of like a better Hateful Eight. You know? Because it's, it's basically in one room where this character starts explaining all the things that are going on. And... Yeah. And I just found Hateful Eight to be uh, challenging, to to say it best. Mm-hmm. And um, so that so that was that was that. And then with with the deck collectors, yeah, you you they give like a story like, oh yeah, we didn't die, yeah. and yeah, and that's the other. It's just kind of like. Yeah, like early on in the movie when they're early reunited early on, it's like I was on the operating table. I thought I was dead, but I wasn't dead. Okay, like I think that's the one major I kinda, issue. See, the I, only, the only. See, I kind of like, like that that they just that they just went for it. That they were like, yeah, this is what happened. Sorry, bye. It just um, reminded me of dialogue that I would do with my action figures when like some crazy, unbelievable shit would happen. It was like, oh my god, you're alive. Yeah. Uh, they brought me back to life, so I'm good. It just it, it did. It reminded me of like my GI Joe dialogue, but whatever. One one, even though to me it's a major thing. One thing, it's not like it took me out of the movie. So for everybody listening, I want no. you to understand that I don't hold that one thing over the whole movie's head because I did enjoy it overall. So, oh, and can I do a little aside about the Sixth Sense? 
yeah, before we so when I went to see The Sixth Sense with my mom and her best friend when it came out um I I had no and I may have said this before but I don't care not mo, not all of our fans are like Jacob Rivera, Jake Lindbergh or Arminio or and if you know if I missed the name I apologize and also there's plenty of people who listen to our podcast every week that don't even reach out to us sure. and our, our fan base but um so all of all of our fans we we love you I think and um at the end of the movie my my mom's best friend is like what's the twist what's the twist and we're like what do you mean he was dead the whole time. And she was like, yeah, I knew that. I'm a doctor. The way he got shot, there was, like, I knew he was a ghost right away. Right. <clears throat> so. That's funny. My, I, so, God bless my mother. I didn't see Six Sense in the theater. I waited till it was out to rent. So I rented it, and I brought it home. It was, like, summer from college. And then my mother saw me come to the door. She was like, oh, what'd you rent? I was like, I, rent, I rented a couple of things at once. And then I was like, I'm about to watch Six Sense. And then my mom goes, Oh man, that was crazy. He was dead the whole time, and I was like, "Wait, what?" It's like she's like Bruce Willis. He was dead the whole time. I was like, "Oh, ma, I haven't seen the movie." She's like, "Oh, sorry," because my mom knew that I watched movies multiple times in a row, so I think she assumed I saw it and just wanted to rewatch it. But she ruined it for me before I even played it. So, but whatever. You know, your your mother was a wonderful lady, and and our parents are, you know, they're funny like that. Sure. My mom has my mom has spoiled movies that she knows I haven't seen yet before. That's funny. And she just like she just means it well, you know. Yeah. Um. But what what also made me happy in this movie was that uh, Marina Sirtis, who plays Deanna Troy in Star Trek: The Next Generation, and played like a Russian mob boss. That had a past with Louis Mandalore in the movie, right? And that made me happy. There were a lot of. There was, there was, there was some sexism in the first movie. I wasn't particularly comfortable with, and there's some, there's some sexism in this one too, but there, there were more women characters, and they were pretty interesting. Sure, like the hit woman. Uh... Who we saw her early on in the desert, and then she came back in the end. She was interesting, and like the character that that you just mentioned. Yes, sure. And there's also uh, a cool scene where they're being tailed by these other guys, and this other guy's like, "Were you in Revenge? Were you in Ninja American Ninja Three? You know, basically." Yeah, yeah. And he's like, "Yep, that's me." And he's like, "Yes." I knew that was the guy. Yeah, he, he sound, one of them sounded like Exhibit, like to a T. Oh yeah, you're kind of right. Like, like his voice sounded exactly like Exhibit. So I, I bet you that they'll make another one of these. Sure. You know, Scott Scott Atkins makes a lot of movies. Yeah. And apparently, there's a sequel a sequel of of the Deck Collector. Which which is which is going to be awesome, I'm sure, mm-hmm. and he has another space movie coming out, The Intergalactic Adventures of Max Cloud. Uh, he's got a bunch of stuff coming up, 
And, oh, yeah, I just saw a preview for some new sci-fi movie that's on Shudder that people are talking a lot about, but I don't remember the name right now, so I'm not going going to talk about it. But we were, you and I were just talking about parents, and you and I decided to do the really silly thing of watch The King of Staten Island on Father's Day. I literally did. I watched it with my father-in-law. Yeah, I just watched it with with my partner. But mm-hmm. both of us, both of us who don't have dads, deciding to watch a movie about someone without a dad on Father's Day might not have been the smartest move of all time, but yeah, we did it. Definitely did it. And... The character's name is Scott, if I remember correctly. He is. Yeah. And, uh, which I think also makes sense because one of his favorite artists, which should be no, uh, why am I forgetting the main actor's name? Oh, Pete Davidson. Yeah, so, so The King of Staten Island is Judd Apatow's newest movie, and it's a sort of, it's a very fictional retelling of Pete Davidson's life. If you know anything about him, he was the one of the youngest members of SNL. Not as not as young as Eddie Murphy, but he's a young guy. Sure. He's a funny guy. He's had very famous girlfriends. His father was a firefighter who died on 9/11. Yeah. Or died because of 9/11. I don't remember whether it was on 9/11 or. No. Saving, res, rescuing people. Like, no, no, it was that. He died, like, he he was a, I don't know, first responder, but he was one of the firemen who died. No, I'm saying he was he was there. He was yeah. at the World Trade Center. And yeah. his, I, my my question is, is you know, um, pedantics. What, yeah. Did it, did he die on September 11th or did he die on September 12th? No, no, he died then and, like, I think the building collapsed and he was, like, considered dead like okay dead, that, like that day so and so pete davidson his father his father passed away and he kind of got much famouser much more famous after dating a bunch of famous people as opposed to people focusing on his talent which honestly i think he has but still has a lot of work to do sure he had a stand up special this year where which was up and down he had another movie this year big time adolescence which i thought was excellent mm-hmm. yeah you and, were talking about that yeah i if you have hulu check it out because right. it's it's really great and this movie was meant is meant to be the movie that is his star vehicle this is sort of the thing that judd apatow does he finds a funny person and tries to to help them make that next step like Seth Rogen or or Amy Schumer or obviously Steve Carell mm-hmm. by making these very long comedy movies sure and in this movie he plays a young man who's whose father died as a fireman but they chose to not make it 9-11, so... Yeah. Because uh, I listened in an interview that Judd Apatow was trying to not make it... He didn't. He wanted to make the story really about Scott, Pete Davidson's character, and not also 
somehow make it a movie about 9-11 and have people. Makes sense. So I got it. Makes sense. It was because, right, because then it becomes this other thing and which could also be potentially painful for other people. And also one of his favorite rappers is Kid Cudi, whose name is Scott and whose father passed away. And his so, music bookends the movie. That Oh yeah, you're right. And so this movie is about this young man who doesn't know what to do with his life. He has mental health issues like Pete Davidson. He has Crohn's disease like Pete Davidson. He smokes a lot of pot and has a lot of tattoos like Pete Davidson. And his mother and his sister goes to college and his mother played by Marissa Tomei, who played a mother in another movie that I'm sure Marcus will be bringing up. Yeah. And and she gets involved with a firefighter played by Bill Burr in one of his best performances. Easily. Easily. He's he's really good in it. When Bill when roles require Bill Burr to essentially be himself but just act well, it's like he's on the money. Like this I can't picture any other person, you know, playing the role that he played in this movie. I, I do also like how speaking of Bill Burr just reminded me how because Judd Apatow does come from the stand-up comedy scene back in the day, so it's like throughout um, the film you see cameos from Rich Voss, Keith Robinson, like like Bill Burr's good friends from like the cellar, mm-hmm. the tough crowd with Colin Quinn and 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 and, and, and whatnot, the Opie and, and Anthony he, crowd. Yeah, and he also did. He also tried to make most of the firefighters in the movie uh, be played by former for- firefighters or actual firefighters, right. like Steve Buscemi. Yeah. who plays an older firefighter in the movie. He was a firefighter before he was an actor. Dude, gr- great sidebar. Um, on So St- Steve Buscemi, like we just said, he was, a, he was an ex-firefighter. He, John Larry is one of his best friends. It makes a whole, from the No Wave scene to the downtown mm-hmm. New York scene to Jim Jarmusch movie, like it just makes sense that they would be close friends. So, on John Lurie's short-lived podcast from, like, back in 2013, Steve Buscemi was one of his first guests. And then Steve Buscemi casually mentioned, he was like, well, you know, it was from my days as a firefighter. And John Lurie was like, what are you talking about? And Steve was like, when I was a fireman. And then John Lurie was like, you weren't a fireman. And Steve Buscemi's like, John, yes, yes, I was. He was like, no, you weren't. And then Steve Buscemi's like, John, yes, no. And then they're going back and forth. And then John Lurie's like, Steve, how long have I known you? I didn't know you were a fireman. And then he's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. So then, like, the episode goes on, and then 30 minutes later, John Lurie just cuts Steve Buscemi off, and they're talking about something else. It's 30 minutes later, he's like, you know, Steve, I'm really hurt that I didn't know you were a fireman. I thought you were my best friend. Like, why wouldn't you tell, why didn't, why don't I know that? And then Steve is visibly agitated. He's like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry. I I was a fireman. I don't know why you don't know that. It just gets, it's really, like, it's just very awkward and funny. But um, No, that sounds, that sounds hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. And... One thing that was cool was on when Bill Burr was on the Joe Rogan show to talk about the movie. He said the Trees Lounge is one of his favorite movies of ah, all time. Ah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And that that made me really happy because because yeah. Trees Lounge, which is Steve Steve Buscemi directed, yeah. about about an alcoholic ice cream truck driver. Yeah, is. Is is a real gem. It's a real. I mean, it's depressing as fuck. Yeah. But especially the ending. 
Oh yeah, the ending is brutal, but I think it's a very good movie, and it's nice that people who have some cachet in the mainstream world are talking about that movie. Know, he, he's an interesting director. Like he makes interesting yeah. choices, like Trees Lounge, Animal Factory, Lonesome Jim. He's got some good, you know. Animal Factory's stuff. rough. You know Edward, what? Edward Furlong, Mickey sure. Rourke. It's it's not for me, but I just want to say Tom Arnold. <laughs> yeah, it's rough, dude. It's funny. Oh, yeah, Tom, Tom Arnold. Yeah, Tom that scene Arnold is. Rough. is um, but that yo, Animal Factory is Finding Nemo. I'll just leave it at that. He, like Willem Dafoe's character in Animal Factory, he plays the same guy in Finding Nemo. He's helping a guy break out and get to his dad. It's like the same movie. And, oh, and yeah, the fact that Willem right. Dafoe plays the same person in both movies is, is pretty eerie. But anyway, what, what, what were we about to say? Uh, also, I think we're going to have M. Tume on soon to talk about yes. the Five Bloods. Yes. We should, I think we should also talk about Tommaso. Yeah, which, absolutely. Which Speaking Willem Dafoe Willem was in. Yeah. And that's... Um, the new Abel Ferrara movie, which, which is excellent. Yeah, it is. And, yeah, uh, also just like, I think especially right now, mm-hmm. Joe Rogan I think is is more popular than he's ever been. So yeah. So Bill Burr saying on that show, go see Trees Lounge, is it's the it's the new it's the it's the Bropra effect. I just made that up, because like. Bro Oprah. Sure. Like, Joe Rogan talks about something on the podcast and then it it gets popular. Yeah. Yeah, I love the idea of people seeking out Trees Lounge. I mean, I love the fact that Trees Lounge was in... I was at Walmart at, like, one in the morning back in college and I bought Trees Lounge, True Stories, Suicide Kings, and one other movie I can't think of all in this because they were in the two ninety nine DVD bin. Um... Dude, suicide, suicide Kings. I, I rented from Blockbuster because Flea was in it. Right. So that's fun. Yeah. Well, kind of fun. Wasn't it? I'm. I'm not saying like you know. I'm not saying that it was a fun movie. I'm saying that was fun. Oh, of I, don't, I was just trying to make I, a funny joke out, out of it. I don't remember, the movie. So. Yeah. Sounds about I right. think that says a lot. And, you know, in The King of Staten Island, I I thought, I had no idea where it was going. You know, he plays this listless, Steve, um, Pete Davidson plays this listless young man who says he wants to become a tattooist, but he's laughably bad at tattooing. And he has a lady that he's been, you know, hooking up with who wants something more but he feels because he's all messed up that that's that he can't do it yeah and then just things just keep on getting worse and he gets a close call and then he's you know and you're just like where is this movie going yeah yeah and that was that was what i thought about the movie i was like where is this movie going you had something here See, you know, it's interesting because as I was watching it, I thought, too, from t- like, where is this movie going? Where is this movie going? You know, I have to be honest. I mean, I love 40-Year-Old Virgin, but generally speaking, with Judd Apatow movies, I'm always like, oh, I know where this is going. I know where this is going. I know where this is going. So I actually appreciated that this movie made me ask where it was going, even though there's some incredibly spoon-fed moments. 
There's some unnecessary moments. Even the movie could have been shorter. I still like that Judd Apatow tried. I'm saying emphasis, emphasis on the word tried. He tried something different. Like this isn't, even though there's still, and but I also like that there's an element. There's a whole Judd Apatow movie within King of Staten, a typical Judd Apatow movie within King of Staten Island. We had right. this whole funny subplot where one of uh, one of Scott's friends, uh, he he's involved with this girl online, and his group of friends think that the girl is fake. But then it turns out she's real and she's hot and she's attractive. And that right there would is like if if Judd Apatow stopped trying, that would have been his that would have been the king of Staten Island. Just like right. the the average five looking guy gets with the ten. Because that's that's generally his thing. But um so I you know, I, I appreciated most of most of King of Staten Island, to be quite honest. And I thought I wasn't gonna like it. And I also like I know you don't like trailers, but I watch a lot of T V these days, so I see I would see trailers for Staten Island all the time, and judging from the trailer, I, I did think the movie was going to be about something slightly different. And when it wasn't, when I saw it, it was like, oh, it's like a you know, I'm pleasantly surprised. But that's just kind of my own personal thing. So right, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm sure. saying because because I enjoyed it, I just thought it was messy, and a few a few choices could have made it a little bit better just because i because i just i think it's fine that we're unsure of what people well but i'm not going to get too spoilery but Mm -hmm. the the movie sort of sort of isn't about anything you know what i mean there's not there's sort of an arc but it's really more like vignettes and and for that it's fine you know um what did you what yeah tell me more and and maybe we can figure out how to how to how to transition to another movie starring marissa tomei about weird uh stepfather stepson issues sure i i think um See, to me, and this is another thing where Judd Apatow, and I think a guy like Pete Davidson together in a movie is just going to draw criticism because they're kind of two easy targets for people to criticize. But I also feel like had reading reviews, not, not, not what you just said, but generally speaking, reading reviews, complaints, praise, whatever, about this movie, had Judd Apatow did what a lot of other folks wanted, then he would have got, got just as much hate. Because essentially, to me, the movie is about, you know being responsible finally like being responsible like because 24 years old you know i'm not going to put judgment on anybody but it's like at 24 years old it's like it's you you've been legally an adult for quite some time and you should at least you know i'm using should in air quotes but like you know have some responsibility be a stand-up person even though there's certain like things that hinder scott's character that maybe we don't you know suffer from so i like the fact that a movie like this drags and that was one of a big criticism a lot of people have is like this movie drags but it's kind of like you know to kind of to, to figure your stuff out which is a term used way too much in, you know in this movie it's like we get it it's a movie about a guy trying to figure stuff out you don't have to say it all the time I just think like that takes right. a while it's, it's like it's like Greenberg but 20 years before sure and I also like the fact that okay I'm gonna try to dodge around spoilers but there's no 
by the end of the movie, there's no, like, super conclusion. Just, like, a little bit of hope. But no, like, oh, he got the desk job, he got the office job, he got an apartment, he got all this stuff, and now he's good for life. Like, not necessarily. Like, the, when the movie ends, it's like he could still go one way, he could go another way, trip up some more, but there's still, there's, there's more hope in him than when the movie started. And mm-hmm. I think that's why the movie is so long because the I like that a movie is so long because like a lot of movies about like smoking weed and being lazy and procrastinating and all those things to me kind of equate to dragging along and just taking forever to get right. to something. And that's so and I know that kind of sounds like a cheap excuse to like positively play, praise this movie, but to me it's similar. That this is a way left field comparison, but it's like the second part of that Che Guevara movie where I remember. I was one of these people at first. The first part of the Che biopic was fucking amazing. And the second one, people were like, I don't know if I like about this. But then, the more I got older, I mean, this was like 12 years ago. But as the years went on, it's kind of like, you know, when he was in the Congo, um, and then, and, and after the Congo, where, where, where was he? Where did he die? Shit. Um, Latin America. Ah. Not Bolivia? Bit. Bolivia. No. You, no, no. I think it was Bolivia. Bolivia, Venezuela. No, Bolivia. It was. So anyway, when he was in Bolivia, it was another unsuccessful mission. And you have to imagine that, like, being in the woods for all that time, having shitty equipment, having stupid horses, like, your your mission has failed, and you were this once, like, you, you so, you know, liberated Cuba, and now here you are in the woods of Bolivia, and everything is going wrong. So I like the fact that this two-hour and 40-minute mo- minute movie... A lot of that Che film was just like lagging and dragging, and that's kind of how it feels. So it really hammers the point home, and that's kind of what I felt with the King of Staten Island. So I, I yeah, yeah I, I really didn't mind it. I, I don't. Right. I'll never rush to see it again, but it's like. And I that. What I saw. That make that makes some sense also because, you know, it, if you think of for me, I think of these these three. These three. Um, Che movies, you know, Motorcycle Diaries and sure. the other Che movies. Yes. You have these two sort of listless movies and then a movie about the meat. So I do I do think there is something interesting to be said there. But uh, again, it just does remind me of of a less obnoxious Greenberg. That's that movie. That's the name of that movie, right? The Noah Baumbach movie. Yeah, with Ben with Stiller. With Ben Stiller and Greta Gerwig, where yeah. it's a forty-five-year-old dude trying to figure it out, um, who's who's much more of a not nice person, and is, you know, Noah Baumbach sits in that weird place where he's 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 proto mumblecore. And post Mumblecore at the same, which is interesting, yeah. Because because before Squid and the Whale, he had a whole career that that people don't even know about. Sure. Um. So, but Greenberg was his most Mumblecorey movie, in my opinion. Really? Yeah. Well, I guess I guess there's that other one, but I just hate France that more movie. more than I mean. I'm, not 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 not. I mean, Francis Ha has elements of it, but not really. But the the movie after Margot, Margaret, whatever. The oh yeah. That, not no no not not Margot at the wedding, but the other movie with Greta Gerwig, where she was she gets a stepsister. Oh, that's not a mumblecore movie. That's just it, precocious. It, uh, Miss Miss America. 
That, that's not yeah. mumblecore. I mean, um, the lead actress was literally she mumbled her way through the. I mean, in the most. No, but sense. but whatever, like like it's. Like whatever mumblecore is, because Brooklyn, that's like, aimless, Brooklyn, Portland, aimless youth, like early yeah, but, mid late twenties. It, it's got a yeah, lot of the, mumblecore. Right, isms. but those movies often don't have like much plot structure. Where where this movie re- does have plot plot structure. Um, yeah. But also, I'm I'm just trying to do this so I can get to the word mumblecore. Yeah. Because because, you know, mumblecore is a is a convoluted genre that I think one is sort of like trip hop, like it doesn't exist, but it is sure. a it is a genre that's been attributed to a certain style of movie from the early aughts to the the to the early two thousand tens. Or, and, you know, unfortunately forever. I mean, you've got guys like the Duplass brothers who do interesting stuff. Like, it, it, it's a well, label that, that, that stays with some people, so... Right, like, if you'll... I'm getting to the Duplass brothers. Sure. Because um, they... But I'm just... I'm saying, like, th- what Mumblecore was when it first came out and what those what the films that in its wake are is is a different sort of thing. But... There was this sort of, there was this sort of style, and then uh, people forget that um, Barry Jenkins made a mumblecore movie before he made Moonlight. Yeah. Which we've talked about on the show several times. Medicine for Melancholy. Medicine for the Melancholy. Yeah. Yeah. With, the, with uh, Wyatt Cenac. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I liked it, and I think you didn't. No, I, it was fine. It was cool. Yeah, I thought it was fine, really. Um, so, and then obviously, you know, Greta Gerwig, Bujalski. There's a bunch of people, and then I think probably, well, Bujalski did write Lady and the Tramp, the remake. But I think Jay and Mark Duplass are probably the most popular. Well, shit, Greta Gerwig is kind yeah, of killing gonna, it right now. Yeah, but but Jay still, and Mark Duplass still. The Duplass brothers, who are these very sensitive brothers from, I think, I think New Orleans, have been making movies together and also acting in other work, aside for, you know, outside of each other. I thought they were from Atlanta, or somewhere in I'm, Georgia. I I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure they're from the uh, the Louisiana. Oh, okay. But, yeah, they were born in New Orleans, Louisiana. And they've written a book together that's really good. They were on Brene Brown's podcast, who... That was an interlap that I didn't expect. Brene Brown is a... Is like... You know, she's a... She's a therapist sort of person. And and she... She's had... She has a really good TED Talk. And she really... Her words really helped me when I was having some difficult times. Hmm. Uh, um, yeah, so she's she's a yeah she's a professor, an author, a podcast host. Uh, she has a PhD, LMSW. But one day I was trying like two years ago when I was really struggling and and really going going hard to find homeostasis in therapy. 
my therapist showed me a video of hers where she said that um, in, what is it? Uh, well, you don't know. Uh, embarrassment is is I is I made a mistake, and shame is I am a mistake. Mm. Wow. Uh, and I think I'm I think I'm pretty you know pretty much saying that, and that really helped me uh, figure out, try to understand. Uh, no guilt. Guilt is I. I did a mistake and shame is I am a mistake and that shit was a game changer for me because mm -hmm. I was I was just really trying to understand the the levels of it and the differences of it right and wow. but which is also to say so when I found them on her podcast talking about mental health it really it really helped me out and then they made a movie in 2010 called Cyrus Starring John C. Riley, Jonah Hill, and Marissa Tomei and Catherine Keener, where where instead of Bill Burr, the main character is John C. Riley, yeah. who who starts dating Marissa Tomei, who let me tell you, she was very good in King of Staten in the King of Staten Island. She's often always good, even in shitty movies. She's um, that's true. She's a great actress. But I, I, you know, I love the fact too. Yeah, so it's like I've seen a couple of rumblings, but it's like Cyrus and King of Staten Island are incredibly similar outside of just the basic plot. Just how like so in King of Staten Island, you know, this, you know, Bill Burr, Marissa Tomei become involved. They're you know, Bill Burr's divorced, Marissa Tomei's a widow. But even just how like you know, after their confrontation, the next day Bill Burr shows up at their house. Shows up at Marissa Tomei's house to ask her out, and then they kind of have this semi-secret relationship, similar and similar to Cyrus. How like after John C. Riley and Marissa Tomei hook up, like you know the next day, John C. Riley just shows up at the apartment, and then they kind of hit it off, and then they have a little secret thing, and then both of the sons of Marissa Tomei slowly start to resent these relationships, and then they try to sabotage them. And he's like, and both of the scene, like, you know, and then there's these two scenes, like in Cyrus, they're at the wedding, John C. Riley and Jonah Hill get into this fight, and it causes the breakup, and then in King of Staten Island, Bill Burr and Pete Davidson have this fight that causes this breakup, so there's a lot of, I just, King of Staten Island is just more from the son's point of view, where it's like Cyrus is from, you know, the the, guy, the, the older guy, John C. Riley's point of view, but yeah, there's and, a lot of... Uh, and that was a movie where... Where you you started being like, oh, Jonah Hill can actually act. Sure, yeah. I'm not saying I like the movie. I found it. I find a lot of mumblecore to just be so uncomfortable. See, but that it, it's funny. You go, I know you're not trying to label anything, but that movie is like made like in that time in 2010. There were there were these mumblecore directors who started to branch out and make non-mumblecore movies and this was like you know essentially the Duplass Brothers first not where they used like big names and you know like they had like literally three Academy Award nominated actress Academy Award winning actress in the form of Marissa Tomei but it was like you, know, you have Catherine Keener John C. Riley and Marissa Tomei nothing about that is is mumbly and even the and, jo and, jo and, Jonah, and Jonah Hill and Jonah who later Who'd later go on You're right. to get two Academy You're Awards? Right. You're right. Yeah. So it, it's just funny that it's like at the time, very much so at the time, 
because they were just still fresh out of that mumblecore scene that it, that the movie it was like mumblecore but with real actors which is kind of insulting but now 10 years later you look back on it, it's like that 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 wasn't a mumblecore movie like at all it's like you know i i Scorsese disagree making I... making king of comedy or something you know just a few years after like you know he had made raging bull which had a lot of mob stuff in the plot and you know mean streets and stuff like that and it's just kind of like this isn't like a mob movie though yeah it's directed by a guy that did those but yeah but i their flavor is the flavor of the mumblecore is definitely in there because even um paddleton from last year which i know you did not like as much as i did Mm -hmm. still had that discomfort so there the mumblecore has definitely changed it's very different but there's still like discomfort in in those movies. You know what I mean? Sure. I just think depending on what side of the bed I wake up on, it's like I do know. I mean, you and me personally can name specific things that make something mumblecore. But sometimes some of the descriptions are a little vague, and it's kind of like, well, these have been things like you're could be describing like John Cassavetes to the French New Wave to Robert Rodriguez movie. Like it, it just gets so, you know, like after a while, it's kind of like just because a movie that where the characters say like a bunch of times doesn't necessarily. No, but it's, it's more than that. Like, like it would be, I wouldn't believe the, the Mumblecore people if they said that they weren't inspired by John Cassavetes. They were for a fact. Yeah, because because there's there's just you know there's something different. There are definitely you know you saw that you obviously you've seen that movie Girlfriends from 1978. Yes, yes. Oh yeah. Like like that's a movie that if it came out in 2015, someone could say, oh, it's a mumblecore movie. But obviously that would be dishonest. It's just it's not. It's just like movies that have loose plot does not mean it's a it's a mumblecore movie yeah. because some people some people let's say upstream color is a mumblecore movie oh god but but, but i get not. it but but but, but, but I, I get, get why it. someone would say that I, I i do i do but i definitely suggest anyone on the show listening to the show to check out uh shane Carruth's excellent upstream color you know which is which is like i guess like a an, an artsy science fiction movie. Check out Primer also, because that's one of the few yeah, like, but, time but travel movies. Oh, go ahead. I, I'm recommending Upstream Color because I think it's adjacent to the movies that we're talking about right now. No, I was about to say, though, because no, Primer essentially, if you look at the timeline, just before 2005, that's when all those Mumblecore movies started to kind of like, that, that, like, that's when the title came. But Shane Carew, right. right, he was like the essential... Uh, you could almost say Primer 2004, Upstream Color 2013 were like the bookends to what people call Mumblecore, even though a lot of times Shane Carew wasn't even mentioned along with like Brzezowski, the Duplass Brothers, etc. Sure. I just think from a timeline standpoint, it definitely fits. And I also love it just because you, you also mentioned sci-fi, and it's like Primer's one of those sci-fi time travel movies that is right up front. They're just like, yo, this shit is difficult. Like, time, t- here, oh, you want a time travel movie? Fine. It's not Back to the Future. It's all. It's very tedious, and you can go back like a couple of seconds. And when you do that, all this stuff. Ha- like, I like it. It takes this almost like manual esque approach to time travel and makes it not fun. 
Yeah, it's not but like then it's it's, awesome. it's rough. It's very rough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Tony Scott's Deja Vu. It is not, but no, no. I, I like mo- I like both movies. Sure. And yeah, so Primer is a time travel movie, and Upstream Color is like an exper is like I don't know like artsy sci-fi. They're different, but oh, they're yeah, both right. they're both very good. And also, speaking of, of movies with loose plot structures, I recently got HBO Max, the new HBO streaming service. Uh-huh. Though I still say y'all check out Ovid, you know? Please. Tell them, tell them, tell them uh, Scott Thoreau sent you. But they have all the Studio Ghibli movies on there. Oh, wow. Oh, that's pretty cool. So have you Not ever seen cool. o- have you ever seen Only Yesterday? No. So it's not it's not a Miyazaki movie. It's a Takahata movie. Ta- yeah, and it's literally, you know, this this 27-year-old who's kind of aimless decides to visit her family in the countryside in 1982 Mm -hmm. and as she's traveling she starts thinking about her life and her past it's and it's just sort of it's sort of a drama you know Mm -hmm. with very there's no there's no like real magic or anything that you're that you sort of think about when you think about Studio Ghibli movies, it's just like this this woman. You know, we were talking about nostalgia last week, and you know, just like it's about nostalgia. It's just mm-hmm. this person on a train mm-hmm. who who thinks about her life. Wow, that's my that's my kind of movie, dude. I've been telling you to see it for a long time. I think you'd like it. Okay. And could also whisper, time. yeah, whisper of the heart. You ever seen that one? No. That's another. That's another. Studio Ghibli movie, not directed by Miyazaki, directed by. Kondo, and it's about, a young girl who decides to write a short story about someone. Oh, nice. Okay. That's it. That's that's all I need. Yeah, and it's it's just it's just really wonderful. So I don't know how I got to that how I got to that connection. Well, it sounds like the first movie you described has a lot of similarities to King of Staten Island. <clears throat> or some. Huh. That, uh, like like you said there's like like well, you said 27 whereas Scott's 24, so I guess I mixed that part up, but just the whole idea of like the aimlessness Essentially, like that, I thought that I literally thought that's what you were doing. How it reminded you know, you of how I'd, it's in the same I'd like to, I'd like to pretend that that I did that. No, just lie. Say you did. I did. <laughs> I did, dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. That that was me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there, it just also reminds me of a movie that I that we talked about a long time ago. But I don't remember exactly the title right now, so I'm gonna I'm gonna have to think about it. 
but yeah, that was that was why I was trying to make that connection, man. Yeah. Um, tell me about Staten Island in films. Staten Island in film, yeah. I mean, you know, there's Big Fan, obviously, um, and you know, various Wu Tang do- documentaries show a side of Staten Island that we don't get to see, you know, in in other more prominent Staten Island-based films. But it, it you know. I've heard this before. I mean, you know, I would bring my dad up out the show, but my dad, my uncle, like old school New Yorkers do call Staten Island the forgotten borough. And then like I heard even people from Staten Island will say that about it. It's like... I call Philly the forgotten borough. Yeah. I, within the five boroughs of New York. Like even me, like I associate a lot of parts of Long Island to New York City. And a lot of it just has to do with the commuting. Like there's a, you know, th- there's a whole railroad system that connects the city to... To, to Long Island for commuters, but it's like Staten Island. I mean, it literally, you know, it's an island. It's like separate. It's not connected to any. Although f- from a proximity Manhattan, standpoint, Manhattan, Manhattan's but, an island. Yeah, but I don't know. There's more. I'm using air quotes again. Like there's more stuff in in Manhattan. Like Staten Island's a neighborhood feel, whereas Manhattan's like a city. But proximity-wise, like Staten Island is quite close to parts of Br- Brooklyn, especially if you're driving. It's like right there. Like like if there's like the army base, there's Bay Ridge, there's places that are like minutes away, you know, in a car. So Staten Island does have that, you know, connection to Brooklyn. And of course Manhattan, because there's a Staten Island ferry. It's just, a, it, it's, it's a very unique place that I've only spent time there in my adult life. A few times I volunteered after Hurricane Sandy for a couple of days. And then my old, a good friend of mine who used to play for uh, Emmanuel College, he was in a basketball tournament. So I was going out there for a whole weekend. But other than that, I'd like never go to Staten Island. It, it's kind of like its own thing. It, it, it's very East Coast. Staten Island is very similar to like you mentioned before. It has a lot of similarities to Philly. Staten Island also pretty close to New Jersey. It's very New Jersey-esque. Even has a pinch of Philly. A little bit of Boston, which is kind of cool that like Bill Burr, who's he's from the greater Boston area. And even his character in the movie is actually from Massachusetts. Um he kind of shouts that out so yeah like yeah like it, it, yeah it's it, it's one of those things where i think if people you know even adults are like this if, if you have this like general idea of what new york city is and you went to staten island and you saw this just like row of like shotgun houses and like front lawns and stuff you'd be like where the fuck is this and it's like you're in new york city yeah but also like, like yeah but also like parts of queens where like your move that movie you like uh peter fool or whatever oh Henry Fool. Henry Fool. I don't even know why I said that wrong. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't know why. Um, you know, that's in like deep ass Queens or like Maspeth or like St. Albans where you lived for a long time. You oh, know, St. Albans is a whole animal. No, but like, but or like I'm where I've been staying right now is is a very different Brooklyn. You know, so I, I hear you. But yeah. also, 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 so there's a train. Like, right yeah. There also, there. I just wanted to say that the movie I was talking about that was similar to Only Yesterday was uh, Le Ray en Vert that we've talked about before yeah. uh, by Eric sure. Romer. Yeah. yeah. Which is which is, you know, if you haven't seen that movie, it's exquisite. And it really helped me come to grips with my introversion. Nice. Yeah. I'm sorry, I interrupted no. you though. Oh no, I was just. But even even to your point though, not I mean Saint Albans is a whole animal. P- people from New York City don't even know where Saint Albans is. But 
like a place like Forest Hills or something like that, you're not that far or that, uh, what's the word? You're not that inconvenienced if you need to get somewhere on public transportation. Whereas, like, depending on the situation and the time, if you're in Staten Island, you need to get off Staten Island, you could be screwed. Like, you could miss a ferry, you could miss a bus. Like, it's very bus ferry oriented. It's not MTA. Right. Subway, like, the one, two, three, four, five, six line. Like, it's kind of its own thing. And I think people from Staten Island... Oh, that's another point I wanted to make. I think people from Staten Island are aware of that. They're kind of in their own world. And I don't mean that in a negative bubble way. It's just because of how the five boroughs are designed and and just how how it is. The end of King of Staten Island, which actually ends in Manhattan in an interesting right. way, reminded me of Beach Rats, where it's like, there's that scene where I mentioned to Eliza Hitman where it's like, you know, the first time, you know, they're gonna go on the date in Beach Rats, and she's about to go on the subway, and she's like, we're not going into the city? It's like, why do we need to go to the city? We got plenty of places here. Like, that, that whole yeah. vibe reminded me of King of Staten Island. Yeah, and also, the other movies I can think of that take place in Staten Island which are very two very different movies, but movies that I've been thinking about recently, is The First Purge. Mm-hmm. You remember right, that works. movie? Unfortunately, and I also unfortunately remember one of the actors from it. Actresses, rather. Uh, which, which one? Marissa Tomei. Oh, yeah. I thought that's See? why you were bringing it up. Oh, I thought this, that's one of the reasons you were bringing that up. Of course that's why I was bringing it up. No, just because I was just remembered... This, um, the first purge, which I felt was definitely taking advantage of Black Lives Matter pain. Worthy, yeah. And that that happens in Staten Island. And oh, that's right, damn. Ah, that's well, that, yeah, that's why I was saying it, dude. And yeah. and a movie that I finally saw that we I don't think we've talked about on the, on the podcast yet is Vox Lux. Sure. Where, which is oh, just... Yeah, I think we have, yeah. I don't know if we have, I just know... No, 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 we, we haven't, because I, I remember I saw it and then you hadn't seen it yet, so, yeah. Yeah, I had to wait till it was on a streaming platform right. that I had access to, and, you know, it's it's a movie where this young student is in Staten Island is uh you know um trigger warning is is caught up in a in a massacre you know a columbine sort of thing yeah and imagine if that person grows up to be sia or something right i say sia because sia wrote the music for the movie yeah and it's also yeah it's that kind of music it's a uh, even if sia I get what you're saying. Like, indie pop type glam stuff. Yeah. And that movie, I think... I think it should have just been split up. And... There's a lot going on. There's a lot. Because it's, it's presented in, like, three parts. There's, there's the first part where it's her. She... The, the young character survives survives a school shooting mm-hmm. and becomes and becomes a pop star mm-hmm. you know a a Britney Spears-esque pop star I guess mm-hmm. 
and then she goes on the road with her with her manager played by Jude Law mm-hmm. and her sister and all these other things are happening you know but um yeah I think I'm trying to remember who played her sister Oh, I forgot. She she was really good in that. Stacy Martin. It's, yeah, it's Young Joe from Nymphomaniac. Yeah, yes. Um, the better parts of Nymphomaniac are 1, when she's, yeah. The, are when she's playing Joe. Yep. In my opinion. Yep. Someone once re- wrote that Nymphomaniac Part One was Lars von Trier's American Pie. <laughs> Kinda. And yeah. I was like, yep. I agree with that. Yeah. And even though it was problematic, I I did like the first part. The second part, I really hated. But yeah, so so Vox Lux. Someone asked me recently, one of Doug's friends. Hi, Doug. Hey, hey, Marcus. You ever smoke PCP? Not yet. That that um, my opinions on Vox Lux, whether it was a disaster piece or not. So uh, yes, it 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 it's almost a disaster piece because it's. It's missing something to be the masterpiece. I think Brady Corbett has a lot of ideas, but has trouble figuring it out. So the first act is about the young person, and then the second act is, you know, 16, 17 years later, and you're dealing with now Natalie Portman is playing the character, and she's getting ready for for a new concert tour, and she's a freaking mess. And the and the actress who plays her daughter, also the actress from Killing of a Sacred Deer, plays young Natalie Portman in the first and second segment of the movie. Yeah. So it gets a little... But yeah, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head in that. I think that's what's most frustrating. Even though I liked the movie overall, yes, it's missing something. It's missing the piece to make it a masterpiece. I couldn't have said it any better. And, and, that, and that makes it frustrating. It's like, ah, there was something you could have... And also, I think, you know, I mean, at this point, it's like almost two years old, but like my opinions on Vox Lux are like, Scott, you just reminded me that like there's a lot of ideas and it reminded me of like an early Hal Hartley movie. So like like if you take like Simple Men, it's like a road movie about these two brothers who are trying to find their father, who is a former baseball player, a Hall of Fame baseball player, but he is also a terrorist who set off a bomb. And then there's all this other... So it's like within Simple Men, there's all this shit going on. Like terrorism, ex-baseball, road movie. There's a criminal element. But I think the biggest issue with Vox Lux... I don't know if you remember the runtime, but the runtime for Vox Lux... I think it's like less than 80 minutes. No, it's 110 minutes. Is it? Holy shit. I thought, yeah, it, was but the, sh- but, but, oh, I thought it was a shorter movie. I thought. Oh, no, just, it's not a short oh, movie, but it's mind. also not a two-hour movie. So, um, And there's a lot of shit in there to make it... Like a three-hour movie, like. Well, I think it should have been a three-hour movie, and also there's like a sort of third act, which is, which is like a concert. Yeah. But, but the problem is, is that they make you. They're trying to make you think that the concert is at Madison Square Garden or something. Yeah. And it's so obviously, not. Yeah. That it just didn't work for me. I think there's probably a way that they could have done it where it didn't feel that way. Um, but that was, that was me and Mikhail, Mikhail's biggest issue when we were talking about the movie was that the, at this, even though it is sort of a musical film, I would have liked more 
more Act One and more Act Two, and less yeah. of that. And also, Willem so, Dafoe plays the narrator for no reason. Like it's a movie with a narrator. Oh my god, I forgot all about yo. What the? F- That's what I'm saying. I Willem Dafoe narrated that movie. There's yeah, so yeah, much yeah. going on in the movie, and I and I think that they that they um that they directed Natalie Portman wrong. She played she. She went. She went a little too hard. I agree, wholeheartedly. But yeah, so that's like another movie: Staten Island trauma, growing up with pain, and right. So this movie is about like this movie is about like a Columbine type situation, and and nine eleven is included in the movie, and and then we have Pete Davidson's movie, who's whose father died in 9-11 in, in real life. And then you have the debt collectors, which which was a interesting thing. I feel like I feel like I'm talking a lot. What are what are you thinking right now? Oh, I mean I have I've said everything. Oh, uh, well you bro, I did want to go back. I like how I watched Debt Collectors and I immediately wrote in my phone to make when the scene became available to make a comparison of um, they live and debt collectors because there's a fight. Oh right, fight. but then just as I was writing that, Scott texted me. You were like, "Did you watch debt collectors?" I was like, "Yeah," and he was like, and then you wrote, "They live debt collectors comparison." I was like, "Holy shit!" I just wrote that down like a few minutes before you texted me. Yeah, I mean that's why you and I should should be in a in a podcast together. Absolutely. Because yeah, um, because I because like they clearly have a they live type scene and they're even like but they're less excited to have it they like they resent it and i think that's why it's like this slow drawn out fight yep so yeah so the shutter movie that i was talking about earlier is called blood machines Mm -hmm. i don't know that one it just it, it just came out recently and it's getting it's getting a lot of love and also one more thing in the post mumblecore sort of thing, did you ever see the Little Hours? Have we talked about that? No. It's like it's like a 14th century movie where Aubrey Plaza and her plays a plays a nun. Oh fuck! I did see that. I saw that like two years ago. I saw that around the time we were doing movie trivia. Oh yeah. I wonder if I wonder if media trivia will will ever exist anymore. No, Wendy's doing it. She does it every week. Just zoom. like like in bars. Oh 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 oh. Duh. Sorry. Yeah. No. <laughs> I know. Damn. No, you just made me kind of sad. Sorry. No. Uh, ev- eventually. I make myself but, sad a few times a day. It's all good. Yeah. I mean, dude. Now is a very different time. Sometimes people ask me like, "How are you doing?" And I'm like, "Every day is the same." Yeah. Sometimes. I, yeah. I mean, it also going back to. A subject we were talking about off record. It's like I do, and I let me just say because some people are probably listening to this. I appreciate it. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying I do get a lot of how are you doing text based on the climate of what's going on right now. Um, and sometimes it's like you know when you don't want to deal with it, you don't want to think about it, and then you get a text like, "Hey, just thinking about you." And it's like obviously I appreciate that. I prefer that than like no one caring about me. But right. there's just so you you brought yeah you brought that term race 
racial race fatigue or, or whatever and it's kind of like yeah racism yeah, fatigue because racism like fatigue. That definitely going through it which is which why is funny because even outside which is, i have to say right. this one more thing i do have to say this thing even without what's been going on with george floyd uh elijah mccain etc it's just kind of like just not to sound so dramatic and if this is nothing i use as a crutch but if i'll just take me marcus as specifically who I am, what I look like, everything. It's just kind of like, it can be a daily thing. Like, minor each day can be a little minor thing, but a lot of time minor things add up to a big thing. So long before 2020, the year of 2020, you'd fall into racist, you know, racist fatigue. And now it's kind of like in overtime. So I, I, I just, I needed to say that part too. That racist right. fatigue existed for me years and years and years and years and years ago. Well, because, yeah, there's also, you know, microaggressions. I know people yeah. like to make fun of the term microaggressions, but that's also just because people often use the term incorrectly. But yeah, I was going to say that. No, I was going to say that, that that that's an important who who makes fun of that. Microaggression is, is very serious and important. And while, yeah, it can be misused, I don't think anyone. It, it's the microaggressions that I deal with. Like, I've never had. I'm just bringing it back to me. I've never had a cross burned on my lawn. I've never had a noose hanging from, but it's like, you want to talk about clear as day, microaggressions and, and whatnot? Absolutely. But I'm sorry. Yeah. No, please. Like, me, me not letting you talk about, you know, your black existence, that would be like peak white privilege. I don't want to shut you up ever. No, I, um, I, no I said everything. But, yeah, so like, I don't ask you that often how you're doing, even though I love you and care for you diff- dearly. I mean, I check out, we, you and I talk every, almost basically every day. Yeah. Um, but I don't ask you how you're doing because you might not want to answer that. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like, cause so, so I just go like, what's up? What's going on? What are you up to? Did you see this thing? Yeah. And, and I don't bring up stuff too much. Because, like, I don't want you to go into your emotional inventory about this stuff for me. Yeah. Because, again, the, the issues of Black Lives Matter didn't just start two, two months ago. Yeah. You Absolutely know, we're, ta- we're talking about the first purge, right, which was a response to a, you know, the Eric Garner and other stuff that was going on four or five years ago, you know? Yeah. yeah. So police brutality has, has existed since police brutality, you know, if you, and it's, it's, it's almost basically a trope in every black exploitation movie, you know, yeah. because that's, because that was part of the experience. And those are movies from a long time ago. So, Mm-hmm. It's just there's a lot of fatigue, and I was I was we were talking about off recorded whether you wanted to talk about the new Chappelle special, and you were like I might want to talk about this fatigue that you've talked about, but I don't know if I want to talk about it right now. And I was like, I respect that man, because like sure. there's so much going on, and there's like we can't we can't always be expected to be on and i'm not a i'm not a black person i'm just a white person who is trying to um own my own privileges and do the work and try to be a better friend and try to be a better person all the time and do my best to not burden you with that 
I, I appreciate that, man. And yeah, um, and, and, and you asking me if I'd seen the Chappelle, it, it reminded me of just an older generation of black people who, when like when I was a kid, so like my grandmother, my uncles, my dad, my aunts, my mom, when movies like, you know, like Cry Freedom, Dry White Season, Mississippi Burning, even though like I don't think those movies are great, it still shows this like struggle and murder of black people and like the older generation when those movies came out there was a who just were ignored there's this generation of black people when movies like that would come out they're just like i don't i don't want to see that especially like take my mom my mom 1952 south carolina so she literally remembers those times especially like a movie like mississippi burning so it's like i don't need to see like a romanticized like she like my mom literally lived it you know what i'm saying so and I'm gonna get around to seeing it because I hear that that, that that the Chappelle special it, it, it's very good and, and very you know it's, personal yeah. and, and and whatnot. But it's also it's like when Facebook, Twitter, I don't need to see these videos of, of people right. like being killed. I don't need to see the aftermath of Elijah McCain in the hospital. I don't need to see like I get it. You know what I'm saying? I honestly get it. Right, and also one thing, uh, white people stop posting those videos. Like if you wanna if you wanna post stuff, like every day you should be posting, arrest the cops that, that killed Breonna Taylor. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, sure. You, but but posting, um, actual police footage, can be incredibly triggering, and and like, unless people are unless non-white people are telling you to share that stuff. Be careful about what you share, you know, help amplify other voices, you know, listen, you know, you have, you have two ears and one mouth. So, so listen more than you talk and definitely amplify, but be careful posting that sort of stuff. Sure. Cause I agree. Cause that stuff is really intense Yeah. and, and you're you're forcing other people to relive trauma. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. Oh uh, well, I'm able I'm able to say the things that I say because I put in a lot of work and I have friends like you, man. Work. Um, you certainly do. Do you have anything you'd like to say before we uh, say goodnight? Yeah, I, going back. I mean, to a, on a lighter note, uh, for those of you who are kind of sick of I know you exist. If some of you I know out there are sick of like the Judd Apatow tropes, or you're just not interested in Pete Davidson's, you know, like like he's in a lot of headlines sometimes. Like, give King of Staten Island a chance. Far from a masterpiece, but it's it's worth one sitting. And I think a lot of like I said earlier, a lot of the criticisms. I think there's a reason for certain things that were taken negatively, like the runtime, like the the dragging of it I, I i actually appreciated those things so i i think g- give it a shot also because you know we're still quarantined we still have a little bit more time on our hands uh generally speaking you know you might want to do a cool double feature with that and debt and debt debt collectors like there's some serious stuff in king of staten island and then sure. like a, and then afterwards if you watch Debt collectors, or the first debt collector, if you haven't seen the first one, watch that. It's like a, it, it's it's a cool you know double feature. Yeah, and definitely watch Big Time Adolescence as well. And also, you're not gonna hear us say to not watch long movies, you know, 
one of my favorite movies of the last decade last decade was was uh, elephant standing still and that that's like four hours long have you seen yeah. that yet marcus yeah i saw it a while ago i don't think i ever told you but i saw it quite some time ago seriously yeah I, okay it wasn't i don't know maybe like two months ago it was within covid okay well we're, we're gonna talk about it on a different episode yeah absolutely all right speak to you later my friend
gun status, girl. I did with whack, but you don't get it. You have to hold that down.